the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So these two concepts, the personal and powerful God, Satan attacked one of them. He attacked the idea that God is personal. He went after the Yahweh piece of that name. He wanted to remove the Lord from Eve's thinking and experience. So the snake comes to Eve with the lie that even if God does exist, he does not deny his power. Even if he exists, he doesn't have a life that is relevant to your personal life. His powerful life is irrelevant to your personal pursuit of life. That is just a little bit of what you'll hear today on Reaching Your Heart. And don't forget that if you miss any portion of this broadcast, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy right to your personal library or listen online at the website reachingyourheart.com. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled The Book of Life. That's the book of life. Let's get underway with today's message. And here is Pastor Mike. God, I pray today you'll take the weakness of me. I am nothing And take the strength of Jesus and the word of God, which is something beyond something, beyond smart. And may you lift us out of the ordinary to know the word of God, to know the mind of God, to know God and be known by God, to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And Father, we thank you for Jesus, the great gift of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is a volume full of words, and when the words are written right, life itself becomes a book of life. A book is meant to be a record of something that preserves meaning for others to learn from. It is possible to live life in the wrong kind of way and to think that all there is to life is the life that is lived as existence. But the paradox of such a life is the paradox of a book that others will never wish to read in the library of time and eternity. If you live your life's days out without God, then there is no need for a record of days, either good or bad. Without God, you're done. Your life doesn't matter. Your existence comes to an end. There is no need to record the meaning of a life for a future generation's inspection. Why? Because existence is not life. Existence is not life. And the life that is only existence is a life that really never was, a life that deserves to come to an end. I do not want to exist. I want to live. What about you? I want to live in God's presence. I want to know God. I want to have meaningful living, not just existence. Am I alone or no? Are you with me? Raise your hand if you're with me. I want to have that kind of life on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. And there are forces in our world, there are forces in our culture that would strip meaningful living away from us so that we are simply existing and trying to make it in life rather than live the abundant life. In John 10.10, at the linguistic center of the Gospel of John, Christ speaks and he declares the reason for the incarnation, why he came to earth in clearest terms. He says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came. 
I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. Friend, Christ didn't come for no reason. He came for a good reason. He came so that your life could be transformed from existence into meaningful living. He came to bring the life and love of God into your life. Jesus Christ came to this world to give his life so you can have life. The great exchange. And he came to write your name with his blood in the Lamb's book of life. He came to give his life so you can really live the forever kind of life. Friends, sin starts in the Bible with the promise of death and life because a choice determines the outcome of the future. And God found Adam and he gave him the option. You can choose life or you can choose death. Stay away from the wrong tree. Turn to Genesis 2 verse 16. The Bible says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden. Then he goes on to say, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, in that day, in the Hebrew it is implied, you shall die. Most assuredly, the text indicates in the original language, you will die. There are two trees in the middle of the garden. One meant life and the other meant what? Death. Life and death at the very beginning of time. If you eat of the forbidden fruit, God said you will what? Come on. What does the text say? You'll die. If you eat of the right fruit, it is implied you'll live forever. The serpent came along and he challenged that clear claim of God. Yeah, you know, isn't that how the devil works? He always comes along and God says something that's very clear. The devil says, well, let's think about that. It really doesn't mean what it says. He gets real philosophical and theological about the plain statement of God that is meant to give you life. Look at Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? So he takes the plain statement of God and he turns it into a question challenging the clarity of God's word. The serpent was the first theologian. I mean, if you want a systematic theologian, go back to the devil. He started taking the words of God and he deliberately reinterpreted those words in a way that casted doubt upon them. He took the plain statement of God. He made it obscure. He took the straight word of God and he twisted it around. He used his sly kind of wisdom as an excuse for disobedience. And he turned the pursuit of knowledge into the desire for evil understanding. Did God say, he said... Uh, The question is a loaded interrogative. The question challenged the very notion of God's presence in Eve's life. Did God say? And you know, in your life, you hear the same question. You're challenged to do the right thing. You're challenged to follow God, to have a vibrant faith that surrenders to his word. And you'll hear someone say, did God really say that? You can't trust the Ten Commandments. You can't trust the Gospels. The word of God put it on hold. Did God say? I mean, this is a timeless challenge to God's authority. It began in the garden. As soon as the Sabbath comes online and the Garden of Eden appears, God is known by the dual designation, the dual name of the Lord God. Look at Genesis 2-4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day, what does the text read? How does it read? In the day, what? The Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, this dual name of of God, the Lord God, is taken from two Hebrew words, Yahweh and Elohim. 
The Lord, with all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the sacred name of God, the Tetragrammaton. Genesis 2-4 is the very first place in the Bible that this divine name appears, and it means the personal God, the I am here God. Now, in this combination of names, the Lord God, the Lord appears first, then God appears second. In Isaiah 52, 6, we have a sense of the meaning of this name. The prophet Isaiah tells us what it means. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. And then it says, here am I, or I am here. The great I am God, the covenant Lord, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the great prophet Isaiah says God's name, the I am that I am God. His name means I am here. Friend, when you fall on your knees and you pray to the God of heaven, the I am here God comes to you. The I am here God hears your prayer. The I am here God becomes close and connected to you because he loves you. And so the first name that we find for God in the garden is the personal covenant name of God that will be given to Moses at Mount Sinai, but was given in the very beginning to Adam and Eve. The I am here God. Now the second name for God found in Genesis 2-4 is Elohim. It is the first name used for God in Genesis 1 verse 1. It's the very first name for God in the Bible. It's not as personal. In fact, it's not personal at all. It describes the great God of creation. Breshit bara Elohim, Eitashamayim Baha'aretz. In the beginning, Elohim, God. It describes the great creator God who speaks and worlds come into existence, who with the use of raw power shapes the universe, who creates the Higgs boson field at the microatomic world, who creates quasars, galaxies at the macro world, who is the God of awesome power. It's the name for God, Elohim. So the Lord God here in Genesis 2-4 represents a combination of ideas. The first is Yahweh, the personal, I am here God, followed by Elohim, God, which is the powerful creator God. In the Hebrew language, when you want to emphasize something, you always start with the most important point. So of these two ideas, Lord God, the most important is the Lord. You know, it's one thing to know that God exists. Now, Einstein believed in the God of Spinoza. He believed in the great God of, of, of perfect symmetry, mathematical beauty. But he didn't believe that God was personal. And so we find right here in Genesis 2-4, the most important concept is to know God as the Lord, as the I am here God, the Lord God. Then to know him as a powerful God has meaning. Otherwise, it doesn't. So of these two concepts, the personal and powerful God, Satan attacked one of them. He attacked the idea that God is personal. He went after the Yahweh piece of that name. He wanted to remove the Lord from Eve's thinking and experience. So the snake comes to Eve with the lie that even if God does exist, he does not deny his power. Even if he exists, he doesn't have a life that is relevant to your personal life. His powerful life is irrelevant to your personal pursuit of life. God is not a personal being, Eve. That's what he's saying. The Lord, who really cares about you, who can really speak with you as a friend. He's not, he's not like me, the serpent. I'm interactive with you. He's not interactive with you. He's not personal. 
At the, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan removed the name of the Lord from his vocabulary. Look at Genesis 3.1. Now here's what the serpent speaks. Twelve times from Genesis 2.4 to Genesis 3.1, we have this name, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. It's the only way that Adam and Eve knew God. They knew him as the covenant powerful God, the personal powerful God. And finally the snake speaks. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. That's the 12th usage of that word, of that combination from Genesis 2, 4 to here. And he said, the serpent said to the woman, did what? God say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. Now notice what he left out. What word did he leave out of the mix? All right, now the word Lord means what? I've just gone over it with you. The I am here God, the personal covenant God. The the name God, Elohim, which you see there, means the powerful God. So he affirms that God exists. He affirms that God has all power, but he denies by his deletion that God cares about Eve, that God is a personal being, that the great mighty God of the universe is small enough to be in her life. And friend, that's what he does in your life. He comes after you the same way. He's out to take the personal God right out of your life so that you have a theological God, but not a God who answers your prayers, not a God who forgives your sins, not a God who carries you through life to eternal life. And so he said, did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? You know, he's always asking questions, this serpent. He has no answers But his questions are meant to undermine the clear statements of God. The expert serpent exerts two actions here by his words. First, he claims that God is not personal, that his presence is not necessary for happiness. His life is not needed for life and growth. You don't need God. So he removes the name of the Lord from his theological vocabulary about God. Secondly, he insinuates that God is limiting Eve's freedom. How can you live in a garden, Eve, where you can't eat any fruit of the trees? Well, I mean, God has said you can't eat anything. You can't live without food. So he's implying that God's word limits life. It limits happiness. It limits freedom. Before Eve takes of the fruit, she must disregard the divine name of the Lord. She must come to believe that God is not close. He is far. And when God is not close but far in her feelings, it is easy to sin against God. Genesis 3, 3, she says, but God said. Now you'll notice what she leaves out of her language. What does she leave out? What na- She leaves out the name of the Lord. She's only known him as the Lord God. She forgets the personal God. We'll continue with Pastor Michael Loxantenko's message in just a moment. But right now, I'd like to tell you about a gift we have for you. If you'll call us right now, we would love to give you a set of Discover Bible Study Guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We believe they will change your life. So call right now to receive your gift of these Discover Bible Study Guides absolutely free. Call right now. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. God said, You will die. The serpent says, You will live. You will not die. The independent life without God is what the serpent offers. You can live a meaningful life without God. It's at the heart of what we call sin. You know, when you want to follow your own will 
and you want to not have God in your life, to not surrender to his moral will in your life, you are doing exactly what the serpent convinced Eve to do at the very beginning. Friend, we need the Lord God. Am I right? We need a personal, powerful God in our life. We need the presence of the God from the morning we wake up to the time we go to bed. And even at the night, we must surrender our lives to the personal, powerful God. And she did not. So at the heart of what we call sin is a broken relationship. Whatever is not of faith is of sin. Sure, the transgression of the law is sin. But more profoundly, it's the loss of God that brings sin. It's the loss of his presence that brings sin. Satan did not call God by the dual designation of the personal, powerful God, the Lord God. That was the only name Eve ever knew him by. The snake called him just God, not Yahweh. No covenant keeping anything here, just God. Has the powerful God, Elohim, said you shall not eat of any fruit of the garden. Has the God of Spinoza spoken to you, Eve? Has the God of mathematical symmetry, perfect power, and celestial order and nothing more limited your freedom. In verse 3, you'll notice that Eve calls the Lord God just God. It doesn't take long in your life when you lose a sense of God's presence and you fall into sin. If you do the same thing, we need the Lord. There's a song out there that goes something like this. People need the Lord. Am I right? People need the Lord. And that was true in the beginning. It's true today. People need the Lord. Every person here needs to know that the God who inhabits eternity cares about their personal lives. The God of the great universe is the God of those little things that make you fear, that challenge your existence, that make you wonder if you can make it. God cares. Adam ate the fruit after Eve did, and then they knew that they were naked. Without God, they had no clothes on. God can see everything, and they knew he could see right through them. Shame is the thing that comes when God is not the center of your life. Moral nakedness means a life without a right now righteousness that can stand in God's presence. So God clothed them with animal skins and sent them outside the garden. The first promise of salvation was the death of something that covered their nakedness. It was the foretaste of the Lamb of God who would give us a robe of righteousness, whose death would supply the lack that we have because of sin and shame. And he sent them out to work on the outside of the garden to learn that life is hard. And without God, life has no meaning. And in the end, you return to the dust. Friend, God comes soon to the first family. Cain in hatred rose up and killed his brother Abel, but God was interacting with him, trying to stop it, trying to deal with his bad attitudes. God was the father Adam was not, interacting with Cain, saying sin desires you, but you must master it. And so we find the loving God reaching out to save the first murderer before he committed his act and his criminal behavior. And the blood of Abel, after it was done, after he crushed his brother, cried out to God from the dust. And after all of this, you'd expect God to condemn Cain, but that's not what happened. God came to Cain and God told Cain that he should be a wonder on the earth. That wasn't saying your life should have no meaning. Be like Abraham, be a sojourner, go from east to west and find me in the journey of life. And then he put a a sign upon his head, a sign of mercy so no one would kill him. God wanted to save Cain. God loved Cain. He wanted to become an Abraham of sorts, transformed by grace. 
but Cain would have none of it. Genesis 4.16 is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible because it describes what happens to men and women who get too smart to be saved, who fail to accept the word of God. Instead, they follow the path of questions that lead them away from God. Genesis 4.16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod is the Hebrew word for wondering. East of Eden. East is the direction of the beginning. Instead of moving forward with God, he goes back in time and tries to recapture the past, tries to fix his journey on the front side of things, and he never moves into the future. God didn't leave Cain. Cain left God. And like his mother at the forbidden tree, Cain turned his back on the personal God. He left the presence of the Lord in the pursuit of God's gifts on the eastern side of the garden. And many people today substitute the pursuit of a personal God for the pursuit of God's gifts as if they're the same thing in life. Am I right? They think, well, if I can get God's goodies, I'll have God. We hear it on the television. We see it as well mapped out in some of the books that are read, that if you just pray the right prayer, you do the right thing, God will bless you. You ever hear that stuff? You ever hear it? Seed theology. Mega churches are built around it. Well, that's foolish theology. Friend, God promises you life in Christ, but there's no guarantee your life will not be a harsh hardship and a challenge. You can't tell me that those martyrs who died at the stake in the Middle Ages had this seed theology going on. They said, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm living for the God who gave himself for me in Christ. And if I die for him, I die for him. I mean, this weak kind of modern religion is not true religion. It's false religion. God has claimed you in Christ. He has given you eternal life. And the life that is transformed does not measure the relationship with God by the goodies we get from God. And so many people today think that with the goodies we get from God, that's the same thing as having God. God's goodness is not God. God is God. Being blessed does not mean that you know God necessarily. It just means that that you're blessed. So Cain goes back to the eastern side of Eden to try and rebuild his past without God's help. Maybe you've been living east of Eden these days, seeking the garden of God without God yourself. You know, the genealogy of Cain's descendants provides a record of existence without life. In the genealogy of Genesis 4, there is no record of days or years. You look at Cain's genealogy, just names on a page, no record of days or years or this kind of thing. And the names of the genealogy betray the generational course of life that leads from a broken relationship with God to a loss of the knowledge of God to the loss of morality in society itself. Cain's son Enoch means beginning or inauguration. So he names his first boy and he calls him a new start. Beginning, inauguration. And then he builds a city and he names it after his son. Calls it a beginning or inauguration. Both the city and his son were meant to to make a statement that I'm starting over. I'm building a city. I have a boy. My life begins anew, but without God. Enoch's son uh, was Irad. After him, Mahujiel was born. Mahujiel is a Hebrew sentence. It means blot out Lord God. It means blot out the Lord God. And so what was happening here is Mahujiel comes to believe that neither the Lord matters nor God matters. And so we have rank atheism. We have the disbelief of God in any form. After Mahujiel, Methusiel is born. 
Methushiel is a Hebrew sentence. It means when he dies, what is God? And so it moves from atheism to hopelessness. And as the genealogy winds its way down, the genealogy of Cain has beautiful women, technology, builders, agriculture, and society. But it ends in murder and meaningless living. Lamech's name means for smiting or for violence. And his generation is the generation of polygamy, murder, and death. Genesis 4, 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, hearken to what I say. I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Now, according to Hebrew tradition, Lamech killed Cain. Now, look what happens next. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech 77-fold. So the curse goes on and on. So how do you dig out of a mess like this? How do you dig out of a path of meaningless living? When you lose God, you lose the fabric of life itself. After the death of Abel, God gave Eve another son to replace Abel. And this son was the beginning of a new line of hope and promise for the human race. In Genesis 4.25, we have the record of it. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name what? What's the name of the boy? Seth. That's all the time we have for this portion of the Book of Life. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentanko. Don't forget, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com if you'd like to download a copy of this message. And just for listening, we are very excited to bring to you today a free gift. It's a book entitled Soul Care. And it is an absolutely free resource just for listening today. If you'd like to dial in and get a copy of this free book, here's the telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We believe this book could change your life. So dial right now to pick up your free copy, 888-244-4673. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673. 888-244-4673. Or you can go to reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.